Hey friends and neighbors, it is Samuel. I just had a couple quick thoughts before we started the episode. The first thing I wanted to say was thank you for joining us. You know, I love going on to Podbean and looking at our viewers around Ohio, United States, and around the whole world. And I think that's so cool. And with this particular episode, it's something that we're just starting to dive into and especially something that I know something about, you know, communication. And so if this is something that interests you and you're anywhere, you're just one of our listeners, part of our community who wants to hear more or anything, reach out to us because I love building those connections and continuing these conversations and making it more of a back and forth. So I wanted to say thank you and please reach out. We would love to hear from you. You can do that by going to Facebook or Instagram and searching communityroots.pod or you can email at us at communityroots.pod at gmail.com. And like I said, we've had people reach out to us before. It's been amazing. You know, we love creating these conversations and just continuing with people off air as well as creating follow-up episodes so that we can readdress some things that we may have missed or uh, may make more clear. So anyway, thanks you all for joining us today. You know, I appreciate you. The next thing I wanted to say was thanks to JHR Counseling and Consultation. That's my mom, Julie Richards, the host on this show, her private practice in Worthington, Ohio. Go ahead and check out jhrcounseling.com. You can see a whole bunch of her services, her specialties, and stuff like that. I know she would appreciate it. Um, so go on over to her website. Check her out if you're in that sort of mindset you're looking for a mental health therapist. I would say, too, if you are interested in supporting the show in any way or just getting a small way to message your group of people or shout out your business, Head over to patreon.com backslash community roots pod. You can get some bonus content as well as get some access to other things. And I'll be honest, we're still setting it up, but hey, your support and you reaching out um, gives me the energy and drive <laughs> to do it. And so I would say um, the more feedback we get, the more I'll put on there and the more we can expand some of those concepts and ideas that we've built on. Uh, unpack that is one of those things that we were thinking about doing as Patreon content that has kind of been more of a replacement for some of our shows. So as we adapt and grow, you know, your your feedback is um, important, but also so is your support. So head on over to uh, patreon.com backslash communityroots.pod. Anyway, thanks for letting me talk to you before we start the episode. I hope you enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. We dive into some communication concepts and stuff like that, as well as connect mom's expertise from a mental health perspective. So anyway, enjoy the episode. I will talk to you soon.
Hi, everyone. Welcome to Community Roots, a place where we gather in community to talk about mental health so we can travel the journey of life together. I'm Samuel Richards. I'm Julie Richards. I'm Sarah Wakefield. And today we are in the thick of it, just as every other time. <laughs> Our episode is relevant and there's a lot going on. So I'm excited sure. to topic tackle these topics today. And I will say it's so good to see all of you. It's been so long since it the three has of us been. been I miss chat. you guys. I'm just grinning and holding my face because I'm I know so I was excited. thinking, Sarah, nobody knows what you're <laughs> because if it's not the video version, then it's just Everyone's going, huh, what's happening? So that's good <laughs> that you described it. Yeah, exactly. So it's fun Smiles to be back. I'm glad around. that we're we're together with the three of us because it's been, I feel like I had a vacation, but I haven't even been on vacation. So right. <laughs> it's good to be with the three of us. I'm really happy about that. You know, it is quite a bit of work to put these things together and to get us all connected and sharing. So this week being relevant as ever, you know, just walking around, having conversations with relatives and people on the street, how intense everything is getting um, yeah. with masks and the coronavirus, as well as the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and yeah, statues coming down, right. history being jolted by what everybody thinks and feels. I think the one thing that stands out to me is that everyone has very strong opinions and they're sure that they're right. And yet they are completely conflicting with each other. And so it's just an odd thing to even be an observer in that kind of context, because it feels a little bit like you can sense the energy, I would say in the room, but we're not all in the same room, even for some of these conversations, like it might be on social media, or it might be in the counseling room, or it could be in conversations with family members or whatever, where there's conflicting views and the tension is so high, like everyone is kind of angry and stressed or overwhelmed or really tired of all that conflict. I know it has permeated my household. It has influenced, um, you know, social media, all the outlets that I have available to me to interact with other people. It's, it's everywhere and the tension is so intense. Mm -hmm. And I think the cumulative effect of it, you know, the fact that um, the, the stressor from the start of quarantine back in March, this is, you know, we're now into July at the time of this recording. And it's just, I think people can be wearing thin of all the different uncertainty, ambiguity, conflicting views, like the stress level is just really high. And I think we're watching that kind of unfold with COVID, quarantine, masks, um, racism, systemic racism, Black Lives Matter, politics, because we're getting closer to an election. And so there's so many layers of it. And there's a sense of like everyone being uh, stressed, overwhelmed, tired, tired of the conflict. And even when I just said that phrase a moment ago, what popped in my head was how many people know how to deal with conflict? Like it's so rare. Most people avoid conflict or maybe they explode with conflict. They either kind of swing on those extremes of I'm either going to be fighting my head off over this or I'm going to avoid it altogether. But there's 
you know, going back to that Pia Melody model that I always mention, which is so funny whenever Samuel said like, she's famous for how much mom says it, but that model really shapes a lot of my understanding of mental health because it's moderation in the middle of being able to be a functional adult that can stay present and realize like what's coming up in me and mindfully aware that this is causing a big reaction in me and how am I going to navigate this? If I slide on the extremes of that wounded child or the adapted adolescent, I'm either going to wall off or I'm going to have no boundaries. And so in having no boundaries, I will cause harm to other people because my voice and my attack and my extreme emotion is going to violate another person. And I will also feel very offended, hurt, upset, blamed, defensive, because I don't have that listening boundary in place to be able to filter through what's being said to me, that it might not be something I should take personally. It's just about their history, their present um, level of stress, like we've talked about with halts, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, scared, stressed. Like if they're not in a place to be present, then that's information about them, not information that I should even feel the need to be put on the defensive. So it really comes down to in having healthy conversations, where are we at? If we want to use that lens, I'm just suggesting it's I think one one way that can be helpful is am I in my functional adult right now or am I in my wounded child with no boundaries or am I an adapted adolescent that has put up walls and kept people out? Yeah, I really like this kind of area of mental health once we get into one of my favorite topics, communication, and the sort of scientific study behind sort of how we communicate, how communication breaks down. And that's also why I see so much value value in both the communication field and the mental health field, because they actually share a lot of similarities and similar findings. But one of the things that I would say is we can really tell whenever communication breaks down within each ourselves. Like it's a reaction that um, communication and communications, it's like a third sense. I'm not a third sense, whatever, a seventh sense. I think it's six. Six, six, six cents. Yeah. Well, I mean, if six cents is seeing dead people, then seven <laughs> cents is feeling the air of the room. And so, so can I just link that for one second sure. back to psychology um, or the polyvagal theory with Stephen Porges? Um, we would call it a felt sense or a neuroception. Um, Stephen Porges uses that neuroception idea of um, how are we receiving if this is safe or dangerous. If it's dangerous, if I have cues of danger, I will shut down or react. But if I have cues of safety, like that ventral vagal green zone that we've talked about, we have more social engagement. We're open to hear each other, make repairs, have connections. So we would say a felt sense or a neuroception. The neuroception, Julie, just to clarify, that is the felt sense and the neuroception is what we're talking about with this seventh sense of communication. And then the ventral vagal is this green area where we are receptive. We are connecting, um, maybe understanding and curious. Yeah. So the neuroception, um, can go 
either to cues of safety or cues of danger. And if we have a sense of felt safety with somebody, that will help keep us in the green zone. Does okay. that help clarify it? Yes. And I love that perspective too. Having that extra sense adds that whole other layer that all humans are aware of, but we often don't talk about. And, or if you say like the air was tense, everyone mm -hmm. in the room mm -hmm. can feel that. <laughs> and it's all, uh, what's really awesome, it's all uh, non-verbal communication. All of it mm -hmm. is completely, um, we're all seeing the same room, but because of non-verbal communication, because of, um, and I guess it's also some history and trauma. Um, as well. <laughs> You're watching me as I'm trying to give a cue. Yeah, of, right. Let me add to that. So he's like trying to fill in the gaps of what would mom say about this <laughs> right, right, right now? But yeah, it is the nonverbal, but it's also the internal experience that I'm having within me, which is the um, like what neurotransmitters are firing within me of cortisol and stress and reactivity. Like what am I bringing to the table in this conversation is about me and my history and my trauma. For sure. And I want to say I misspoke. It is not all about nonverbal communication. <laughs> There's a lot going on that makes it very complex. I just got excited because I love nonverbal communication. No one ever talks about it. But anyway, um, yeah, I also think that we see that sense of breakdown within our conversations as well. So even people we care about or regularly would feel safe and secure and starts to breakdown and starts to get really complex and a lot of yelling, a lot of fierce attacks and um, a lot of misunderstandings often. And so I thought it'd be useful just to also kind of say this out loud, how I wanted to split up this episode, which was to kind of say, how can you self-regulate? Um, how can you help someone else regulate? Is that possible? Uh, we were talking about that as well. And then like, how can you walk away having a productive conversation? So maybe we can start on that, being able to regulate yourself, because that's one of the, I think the first steps is once you realize that this conversation is no longer productive, then that's the time where you have to, the first turn inward and say, okay, how do I calm down so that I can see everything? Because here's something that I hear about parenting often as well is it's like, oh yeah, it's all fine and dandy to think about how great a parent you'll be whenever you're fully rested, you just had a meal and um, you only have to deal with the kid once a week, like it's like your nephew, as opposed to being tired, exhausted, like you've dealt with this so many times. And so you have to get yourself back to that mindset of regulated and like you've had sleep or water. And that doesn't mean that you have to necessarily leave the conversation until you have those things, but maybe understand like, hey, this is a topic that gets me fired up and I'm sleepy and maybe like uh, I haven't eaten a lot, you know, so I have to be extra careful and sensitive with myself to realize I'm not actually under any attack or any physical threat. It's a perceived threat. It's a perceived safety, felt safety, like uh, the term that I think a video that you sent us. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to link to our viewers at some point because I thought that that was so interesting. And um, felt safety, just to give credit where it's due, is really a concept that comes from Karen Purvis and trust-based relational intervention, which is TBRI. Um, so I use that language of felt safety when I understand 
the lens of polyvagal theory and neuroception from Stephen Porges. So that's not actually his term. It's more where I learned it from, at least originating from, is Karen Purvis. So I just want to clarify for any listeners that might be interested in learning more about it. And I think that we've all been in this state whenever we're having discussions with people and then you're just like waiting on the edge of your seat for the other person to stop talking so that you can get your point in, you know, um, or you're like, okay, well, maybe if I reword it again, my point will get across, <laughs> you know, or just like maybe shout it louder. Yeah, right, right. Maybe they're just not getting it. And if I shout it, and I think that we get all get to that point. And I will say at that point, conversation is not productive. And we've said this before in prior episodes, but it doesn't matter. You could have like the cure for cancer that you're shouting at them. But once that conversation shuts down, it's like it has now become about emotion and I'm feeling attacked and vulnerable. So I don't care what you have to say. Like I'm going to walk away from this with a negative reaction. And so even maybe once you're under control, you're able to kind of acquiesce some points or kind of see each other's perspective. But so I think we've all felt that breakdown of communication. Mm -hmm. Well, I just want to say, you know, we're already dealing with communication styles that on any other year, it feels like would already be a little bit um, off kilter, you know, because we don't all communicate well, right. And now you throw in everything that we're dealing with right now. And it's this just being inundated with um, all the stress, all of this change the world right now, because what we're facing is so en enormous, it's, it's overwhelming. And then, you know, throw then um, incompatible communication styles or people who don't understand this whole idea of felt sense of, um, you know, being able to walk away with having had a productive conversation, being able to self-regulate in the middle of a conversation. And you've really got a recipe for disaster um, because so many people are unable to understand that, you know, shouting doesn't make a difference, that, um, you know, closing, and it's not meant out of uh, malice, I think, and I'm speaking from experience, okay? So having been part of these conversations, you know, it doesn't come, what you're hearing being shouted at doesn't come from malice. It comes from this deep hurt and this deep woundedness and this deep, you know, um, admirable uh, intent to change the world, to change conversation. Um, but, you know, under the best of situations to people who already have uh, different styles of communication, who don't understand, you know, how to have a productive conversation, self-regulate within it, under those, you know, benign situation, uh, uh, context, that's already a difficult enough um, time. And now you throw in a pandemic. Now you throw in trying to, you know, change systemic oppression and this political environment and, you know, the grief that comes with family, who, families who don't agree, you know, and you're, whew, it's just a lot. Can I just say it's a lot? It is so a lot. Yeah. That's where I think kind of having that lens of a window of tolerance and understanding some of the dynamic that's happening within people that we can kind of check in and have that self-awareness in our own body to say, like, I've noticed sometimes whenever I'm hearing someone process something that's very loaded and heavy and they are, they are overwhelmed, I can feel in my body 
sensations of my heart starting to either beat faster or I can feel the tension in my body as I'm hearing it. Like I notice something shifts inside of, of me that I kind of immediately, like Samuel, your original question was like, how do we regulate ourselves? I think the first step in that is being able to notice what's happening in my body that notice that I am starting to feel more tension in my chest or more like maybe shallow breathing or sometimes there's this feeling for some folks that something's kind of in your face. Like someone is almost like backing you in a corner right now. And you have this instinct of like, get off me or back up or something of like, I'm, I'm conflicted within my own body because I don't like what's happening here. And so depending on how well we know our nervous system, what's our our typical go-to or default? Is it that I'm going to come out fighting and I'm going to use that fight response? Or is it that I want to get the heck out of there because I want to flee and I can't handle the pressure of this. So I want to back up and run. And so I think when we start to have that, you know, our sympathetic nervous system is that mobilization part of our nervous system. It's an energy that's either making us want to fight or flee. So when we have that awareness, the very first thing we can do after that is stick our feet strong on the ground and press into our feet, maybe press into your chair a little bit to be able to say like, I'm right here, I'm here now. Like I'm not going to fly into a trauma response that is something from my past, or I'm not going to fly into a fear of the future and what's going to happen next but I'm just going to ground myself. Literally, I'm talking about physically. For some people, it's like, you know, holding their own hand to feel the temperature of their hand, or it's kind of squeezing your arm a little bit to get grounded that I'm in my body right now. And I'm just present. I think those are some things. And then what, what you do with some of that is notice your breath. Can you take a deep breath and just get present? Do you have any water nearby? that you can just take a sip of water because that's a pause that you can kind of feel more present, more grounded, more able to hear what's happening in the room. Yeah, I wanted to share what I do in those examples because I think it will identify with both the viewer and just ourselves. But my first response is always to take a deep breath. Like that's my tend to gut response. And then I mean, I remember that this is my amygdala. This is my uh, my protector right? That's coming out. And so I always try and send a quick thank you to my amygdala saying like, thanks for watching out for me, but I got this now. Like I, I want to be back in control. This, this is a felt sense of insecurity, not a real threat. So I got this. And did you get that from the Hey Warrior book? Yeah, definitely. hundred <laughs> percent. If anyone remembers our anxiety episode where we talked about anxiety, anxiety and, and kids, children, yeah. yes, that Hey Warrior book is brilliant on helping people understand your amygdala is there to protect you. And sometimes it's just overworked and um, hypervigilant thinking that there is danger when there's not, or there's not a need to perceive it that way. So being able to thank your amygdala or your warrior or whatever you want to call that protector figure inside of you to say, Hey, I hear you. I'm with you. We've got this. We can do this. It kind of helps calm it. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Let's. And because to fight or flight that puts you into a place that you can't really 
learn anything anyway. You're not in a stable place. You're either moving forward or going back. Like there's no, and, and then as opposed to freezing, like they talk about fight, flight, or freeze. And so the freeze, you're just, whole body is shut down and you just can't do anything at all. And so I, uh, I would say with mom using like physical uh, things, I wanted to bring back to one of our earlier episodes um, where we talked about visualizing a barrier in between us or visualizing uh, like water on your hands and just flicking your water. I mean, your fingers of water, I think are all good ways to just tell your body in ways that are symbolic and deeper, like shake it off or step back, or we've got buffer. Um, I think that was something Jamie Marich was sharing about, like put some extra bubble wrap or plexiglass or something that it can be an extra layer of protection. Not everything has to come in and offend or hurt you. You can let it kind of bounce off of that extra layer of boundary that you imagine. Your brain knows that it's real, even if it's imagined, which is pretty powerful <laughs> to be able to tell your brain like, Hey, I've got some plexiglass up and your brain's like, Oh, cool. Thanks. Nice. I need, oh, thank I need that. Yeah. I'm so glad that's here. Even though it's only part of your imagination. I think that's so cool that our brain can do that. So I wanted to also say like getting yourself regulated is the first step. Um, because just because you're absorbing information doesn't mean that the other person is now there too. And I think to have a productive conversation, you both have to get to that point of regulated. And so here are some things that I've noticed as just, and this is where I think it does pertain to both nonverbal communication as well as your knowledge of the person you're talking to. That's really good. So the first thing that I would do too is once you get grounded, once you feel safe again, if you are like getting grounded by holding your hands across your chest or by doing anything, just like try and create an open body, try to create a calm voice, like things that say it's safe. Like we're on the same side. I think it's an important mm. thing to remind yourself, like we're all humans. We have a vested interest in the success of earth of living things. And so I think um, doing that. And like I said too, the knowledge of the person you're dealing with, um, if you are trying to have a black lives matter conversation with someone whose parent is a police officer, you're going to have a lot of trigger and trauma responses that come out and uh, that's not productive. And that just really says to the other person that it's unsafe. And could cause a lot of injury between such differing and volatile sides. Yeah. And another thing that I think helps too is saying, am I hearing this correctly? And verbalizing what they're saying because I think another thing too and I can say this as somebody who gets worked up about politics <laughs> just being validated you have lots of experience right right you have so much experience in that <laughs> just being validated with your perspective to say like hey this is what I'm hearing you say is that right can totally change somebody where they're like oh you do get it I don't I mm -hmm. don't have to keep shouting because mm -hmm. and you're allowed to disagree you're allowed to just mm -hmm. say, still say yeah, I see what you're saying, but you're wrong. <laughs> uh, and I want, uh, we can talk more about like that in a second, what, what goes into a productive conversation. But as far as like getting able to regulate the other person, I think those are three good things that you can do to also like, I think as 
people who are more aware of mental health practices, we all have that sort of responsibility that the world doesn't teach people good mental health practices. So Mm -hmm. if you are able to get yourself grounded, I wanted to say that, like, if you're able to get to a safe place, then try and try and perceive, try and create that safe space to the best of your ability. And I know Mm -hmm. that brings on its own complexities, but just to say, pass it along. Yeah. And when you see someone that is angry, upset, escalating, things like that, again, if you can be mindful and aware in the moment to pause a little bit to say it will de-escalate someone for them to be heard, you know, and when you can have that sense in a conversation where nobody's hearing each other and you're kind of butting heads or you're heading opposite directions or it's getting more volatile, that's a time to slow things down. And if you are able to get to that place of hearing the other person, validating what's being said, um, being able to not just say, maybe I hear you, but to also sometimes be able to sum up, like, can I sum up what I'm hearing you say, or something that gives some indication that you're open to being able to hear, because maybe someone who's very angry is just upset and putting up walls and feeling defensive and not sure if you would even listen to them anyway. So it's just going to make them more mad. One thing I think I've heard you say uh, before, Julie, is also to speak slowly. You breathe slowly. You want to slow things down. Now's the time if you're summing up, um, take that opportunity to sum up a little more slowly to bring, to deescalate at least as much as you can. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, a good thing. We tend to speed things up and get more ramped up and escalate things when we're really stressed and angry. Yeah. And for my ADHD friends, like whenever you're like moving your knee up and down, even if you're speaking calmly and your knees moving rapidly, some people perceive that as stress and not to say that like, that's how you're regulating your ADHD. Right. But just to understand, like whenever that's how you regulate your ADHD, that is some sort of like, that's the impression it gives sometimes. And so I found like, It's also good for, like I said earlier, keeping my body open, keeping my words quiet, uh, appearing very calm and relaxed. It's all Um, part of that nonverbal communication. Yeah, there you go. That I don't think people are necessarily good at. You know, I don't think that comes naturally to anybody. I think these are skills that that would, we would do well to practice and learn and cultivate that muscle kind of, we've talked before about building muscles for it. It's like, it might not come naturally to us to be calm and to know how to communicate and to not just run away from conflict, but to be willing to sit in complex, hard spaces to be able to say, okay, you know, I think a big part of it, if I had to sum it up too, would be the ability to listen. And the ability to hear like, yes, it's so important that everyone has a voice and I get that, but sometimes we have to be able to hear first and to listen to where they're coming from, I think will help to put the atmosphere in the room of people being heard and being safe and being able to be understood. I think those are some strong, healthy attachment foundations that matter so that a person can feel seen and welcomed and wanted and that will help create that felt safety too. Julie, can we just unpack that just a little bit further with this idea of 
especially right now in this climate of right versus wrong, this, you know, when you're having these conversations and being able to listen, when you know, the other person is egregiously wrong, like, like, you know, your head's going to explode because the other person is so wrong. And, you know, you're having these conversations and, you know, and, and I have these conversations too with people and I'm just thinking, you are so wrong. How could you survive being so wrong this entire time? How do we listen in those moments? How do we, you know, you know, you, you just want to point out that this person is deadly wrong and, you know, and maybe it's this whole approach of self-regulating and saying, you know what, this isn't about this. I have a voice. Yes, but I need to listen. And what's happening underneath this layer of listening, what's happening to this person deep inside. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big part of it. I just want to first validate that that is so hard because we can kind of feel that reaction coming in us like, oh my goodness, we are on opposite sides of this. And this is going to be a hard conversation. But I think a couple things that you can do while you're grounding yourself at the same time of doing the deep breath and putting your feet on the floor and things like that. I think you can become curious and look for what's the story? What's the story behind this? And what's the emotion with it? Besides the anger, like the anger is presenting on the forefront, but underneath that anger, where's the fear? Where are they defending? Where do they feel like they need protection? Like, I wonder if you can use kind of that curiosity stance and have that phrase in your mind of just, I wonder, I wonder what this is really about because they're presenting it as if it's this thing on the surface or, you know, what's leading the or driving the conversation. But if you start to untangle with someone, what's underneath it all, there's usually a fear base in there somewhere or something that they're feeling like they need to protect or defend. And so hearing the story behind it would help you understand kind of the pathway of what brought them to those strong, intense feelings in the first place. If I could also add in some other stuff as well that um, I think is relevant that Communications talks about a lot that I like, which is, I think, a simple mental health trick, but um, like something that Communication talks about is that at a base level, we just want to be heard and understood. So being able to, one of my favorite questions to ask is like, well, what is your experience or what has your experience been? And that both like gives them the limited, like it does two things. One, it's not, they're not going to tell me about like the New York Times article. And if they do, they'll be able to like mention it up, but they'll probably talk about like how it's actually impacted them. And secondly, like it gets them off the hook where they don't have to feel like they have to explain everything. So they, they don't feel like they have to say, well, I have it all figured out. I have all the answers and I have to justify everything because I know everything. And instead it's just like, well, what have you experienced? And then the other thing that communication push, pushes really hard is a sense of other and other perspective. That's what they call it, other perspective. If you take a communication class, they'll talk about it 40 times a day. <laughs> um, because it's a simple way that you can kind of change how per, how communication, interpersonal communication works. And you can share this other perspective mentality with other people to try to open up their perspective as well. And this goes both ways, right? Um, I, I think like 
those who see African-American or people of color as inferior are inherently wrong, and I cannot stand behind that. So my way of getting that other perspective for them is to more of say like, well, let's let's think about their families and what is life like for them? Like, let's try and get an other perspective on those people. And then we have this other line, right? We have the line of people that are on our side, but they're trying to, they're just like yelling and screaming at the people who haven't moved yet. Like uh, this happens with relatives, I think often, whenever like you have a sibling who's really fired up about this and you have parents or relatives that are like, oh no, no way, like, whatever they're saying about their political beliefs or whatever. And I think that comes down to, too, being able to talk to your potential ally or the person that you should be on the same side with, being able to say, like, hey, let's take it from a look of their perspective. Like, you're trying to, you're trying to get a huge jump here where not only are you trying to convince somebody that racism exists, but you also have to convince them like to cut the police budget and to cut like forget everything that media has been telling them for years right and so i think that those that's what i would talk about too i love how this transitioned well into what is a good conversation look like as well and i will say the last thing that about communication that is a misconception i mean well the misconception is that we can all agree we can just figure it out and all agree. And according to communication, I don't know if this is a mental therapist approved thing, but they're saying that that is not, that's something that we convince ourselves that is not true. There are some times that you're just not going to agree with someone and that you're not going to, you're not going to find common ground. And so the best thing to do is just walk away or find another route because you will get to that point where you can try your hardest and it's just going to end up draining you and it's just going to, your battles have to be fought somewhere else. And I think along those same lines, the idea of if we think that I've found in processing, um, like specifically parents of adolescents who they're frustrated with the communication, if we think that the point of communication is to convince somebody of something or change their mind about something, we've really missed the bigger picture and the deeper point, which is exactly what you said, that someone wants to be heard and understood. And I would add to that seen and welcomed and, um, you know, that, that feeling of someone being curious about what they have to say or what they think or feel and that they get to be a separate person from me. Like I don't have to convince someone to be what I think they need to think. You know, I don't have to be enmeshed in that. I can just say this is their own person and they get to, it's a boundary issue is what it is. It's that delineation or um, differentiation of this person has their own thoughts, their own feelings, their own views, and that's okay. And if it looks different than mine, that's okay. I don't have to convince them to see it my way. We can just have an understanding of wanting to hear each other and see different perspectives. And it's not about convincing and persuading and forcing an agenda. Right. There is no universal perspective. You could spend your whole life talking to people and still not come up with what the perspectives of everything are to be able to sit with someone, even to say like, I've had family members who are that kind of older, just like have a different perspective on things that we've even been able to come together and say, 
yeah, we would like to see changes in some things and some things aren't fair and we might disagree on how to get there, but it's a good first step to say, hey, we're actually united in that way. But this is so complex. I, I know that we're all bursting at the seams to talk about all of this. Um, I really liked how we and uh, Julie and Sam, you were wrapping this up very well with, you know, there is no universal perspective, but we need to take the first step. And the first step is going to look very different for every conversation. The first step is going to look very different for people and finding that common ground that you mentioned. Um, you know, sometimes you're not going to find that, but I think if you reduce your expectations, if you say, what is this first step that we can agree on at a very base level that, um, you know, universal rights for, hu for all humans, you know, that is a basic level. And I think a productive conversation does kind of, you know, you can get somewhere with smaller expectations and, and smaller um, agreements. And then, you know, bigger things you're not going to agree on, but it's that first step. It's, um, and also not expecting that universal perspective, that universal truth, um, and, and radically accepting people for who they are. But I just want to say, you know, if they're your family, if they're your friends, um, you likely have something in common and, you know, maybe, you know, ending on that good note um, can be fruitful for um, future conversations. And sometimes that can be simple too, finding that common ground. I would push that as well, trying to find that common ground because that also builds the relationship for future um, like growth. Something else that we talk about too in communication is like, First impressions are important, but last impressions are really, really important. How you conclude a conversation is, is important. And if you walk away salty, then, or if you walk away grumpy, and to not use slang, um, then you're going to have a poor perspective on that whole conversation, even if there were points of unity there. So I think being able to conclude and an easy thought to conclude on is, hey, we're both passionate about this, so we both want change. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, a good tying thing together. Also, if it, a conversation ends on a tense note that um, the language that I use is it's a rupture and knowing that when you're both calm or able to step back for a little bit and circle back around, make a repair, and then you can have more of a soft startup that you're able to say, hey, I want to reconnect and just see how that that was for you and make sure that I'm hearing you or something to, to come towards someone again, instead of leaving it as like, well, that didn't go well. And now we're just going to pretend that didn't happen, or I'm not willing to talk to them again or whatever, like to, to later come back to that rupture and make a repair yeah. and realize that all the small steps of communication are important too. Like the, if we just talk about it for a little bit, I think it's important that I guess my closing thought that I would just want to add is pay attention to timing. You know, if you're trying to have a hard conversation, like you said earlier, Samuel, if you're tired or hungry or it's the middle of a stressful day, like that's kind of setting you up for it not going well. So um, the other piece of that is sometimes if you want to have a hard conversation, just start it and have it maybe even be 10 or 15 minutes long at first where you just go, okay, that's one step. Let's continue on that and come back to it. But just do, doing smaller amounts, I think is much more, um, I guess, easier to, to help you find a starting point and keep continuing it in little bits. Cause I think 
if it escalates and gets long, everybody starts to get kind of anxious and uptight again. Right. And then like, you can only get so far in one conversation, but um, I wanted to thank everybody for joining us. I know this is a shorter episode. Um, we are very interested in this topic. And if this topic interests you, please reach out. Like, let's continue this conversation if this is interesting to our viewers. Otherwise, we'll, we'll keep moving, you know. We have a lot of topics to cover with mental health, and there's no end <laughs> to what we can do. But I am all about, I say this every episode, the community that we build. So if this is something that interests you, definitely reach out. Don't, don't even hesitate because uh, we, I would love to discuss this more. This is very interesting to me. And I think that we've covered a lot in the time that we have talked. So I think it's always good to end on that good note and a positive note. So I'm going to say affirmations and um, gratitudes. Gratitude. I like adding the affirmations. And yeah, so that one happened break. while I wasn't around for those. So I was happy when you ever, you guys were talking about that before on one of the earlier episodes that I was listening to. I was like, ooh, affirmations. Let's add that. That's a cool thing. So good. Yeah, I'm going to start off with an affirmation and I'm going to make it quick. But just in that mindset of um, I am a hard worker. I work really hard. Like I have so much that's on my plate that, of course, not everybody sees. But I am proud of myself for working as hard as I did. And I feel like I can take on a lot. You know, I'm ready to take on um, some cool stuff. So the way I want to affirm myself is I'm a hard worker. I can get a lot done. Yes, you are. Yes, you can. I love the affirmation after it that we can say to each other that kind of supports each other in that, that you're not alone in that. Right. It connects us. I think an affirmation that comes to mind for me with what we're discussing, especially, is I am learning. Mm. You know, I'm learning to be open. I'm learning to communicate. I'm learning to have hard conversations. And that kind of connects us back to that concept of process right. that we talked about before. Like, I don't know how to do this perfectly and that's okay. Like I am learning, I'm learning to do it. I'm being courageous to take that step. I have an affirmation wrapped in a gratitude. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am grateful for my brother, Casey. He cares deeply. And that is also my affirmation is that when in all of this, we all care so deeply. That's why there's so much tension. That's why we're all so passionate. That's where, you know, it's all coming from this place of caring deeply. And um, I am very grateful for my brother for caring deeply. I love that thought, um, Sarah, of that we care deeply. I think that helps us understand why we feel strongly about things, why we're passionate about things. And I would say I am grateful for being able to feel and to be vitally alive and to walk a healing journey where I can learn how to do emotions and feelings and conversations and depth and repairs. And like that to me makes life so um, amazing. I'm just thankful to be a part of that. That's great. I love this. I love how our show is in process, you know, how, you know what, I, I am so glad. I will say I'm going to end on this concluding thought, but whenever I was younger, I was like, I can't wait until I'm 18 and I have it all figured out. And it's like, I am glad that I kept growing after 18 because if that was the epitome of human thought, then we have a long way to go. And so I love that idea of being in process and kind of like how it's impacted our show. It's been like an addition to our show as well. And I also love that thought of everybody does care. We're all on the same side. We all want a lot of similar stuff and there will be differences and there will be people who 
have disagreeing things. We have a lot of things in common. The reason we are so passionate is because we care. But anyway, thanks everyone for reaching. I mean, for listening to the show. Um, I want to say it's so great to see you both again. It's so bad. It's so good to be back in the swing of things. Um, thank you all for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next week. Sarah and mom are doing an off the beaten path. So that'll be fantastic. Um, I can't wait and we will see you soon.